And you're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. I'm Jeff Milo, and joining me on the podcast today is Nebula and Sturgeon Award-winning author Sarah Pinsker, won the Nebula for last year's book, Song for a New Day, instantly became one of my favorite books of, of the last five years. It was a story about uh, a, a band that is trying to survive after a global pandemic has made public gatherings illegal and thus concerts impossible. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Except for these main characters in this book who are willing to break the law for the love of music and for one chance at human connection. As I said, that went on to win the Nebula Award in science fiction writing. Sarah Pinsker writes about near futures, kind of speculative fiction, and her latest is We Are Satellites, a novel about a family, but a new productivity technology is on the market, and this technology is, it is a brain implant. It's something that goes sort of near the temple. It's called a pilot, and it uh, it glows blue, and it has this sort of eerie futuristic quality, and it enhances all of your focus, and you're able to work and concentrate and handle all of the stimuli coming in all at once, but this technology winds up dividing this family. Two parents, a son and a daughter. Val and Julie just want what's best for their kids, David and Sophie. So when David comes home from school begging for a new brain implant to help with his studies, they're torn about it at first, but they reluctantly agree. This is the future after all. Julie wants one, David wants one, Val very much does not. Sophie cannot get one. But the implication becomes, not just for this family, but for society, get a pilot or get left behind. Won't spoil it from there because we're just going to roll right in to our conversation with Sarah Pinsker, a Nebula Award-winning author, also musician, along with these two great novels, We Are Satellites and Song for a New Day. She's the author of more than 50 works of short fiction, while also being singer-songwriter with three albums on various independent labels, as well as part of the rock band, The Stalking Horses. We'll have information about all that in the show notes, but here's our chat with Sarah Pinsker. joined now by Sarah Pinsker. Hello, good morning. Good morning. You have this this novel out, We Are Satellites, uh, a sci-fi book, but really a, a family book. It's about how a family is divided by this new uh, fancy technology, this productivity-enhancing technology, and it was a really great read, and I'm so excited for it. How are you feeling about it? Oh, uh, I am very excited that this day is finally here. It's, <laughs> it's uh, funny having a book birthday during a pandemic, because yeah. like the... The ways you market are different. Indeed. Indeed. We're all getting used to that. I want to jump in and ask you about creating this book inside of the sci-fi genre, I guess. You know, folks may have read Bradbury's sci-fi and thought maybe in the 1950s, oh, he dreamed up the idea of a a wall-sized television. That's fantastical. But tell me about this, where we're talking about something that's going to be implanted into our brain, which doesn't sound so far-fetched. And in order to create that and make it realistic, there was probably a lot of research that had to go into that. You couldn't just dream up and say, I'm going to plug something into my character's brains. You had to tell me about creating this book and, and what came into the creation process. Yeah, well, you can kind of go two ways with those things. You can you can go for the really big reach and and go for the, you know, Siri in your brain or whatever. <laughs> um, but I actually like the restrictions of trying to do something like somewhat plausible. Yeah. Um, so, so I wanted to go. So I talked to a lot of. Um, various types of uh, 
brain scientist and brain doctor and uh, about, you know, what I could get away with saying. And, and so, so I, um, it was cool because as you, as you develop those restrictions, like things come up like, like uh, there's in the book, there's a, there's a blue light that's completely cosmetic that shows you who has this thing and who doesn't. Um, it's sort of advertising for, for the implant at the same time as, uh, and nothing else. Like it's only cosmetic, but like the place that I could picture it was, you know, where, where would you put that on someone's head? And I was like, oh, this would be, you know, right, right near their ear. It would be kind of discreet. And it turned out that was near the spot in the brain that the doctors said that I could, I could put my <laughs> implant. So, so like everything sort of, when you start to get restrictions like that, things lock in in a really cool way. Sure. Now, I'm not sure about what it's doing to our brains, but I do know that there's at least a lot of evidence out there showing that social media and even just the possession of our smart devices have extremely shortened our attention spans. Uh, people tend to emphasize the word advancements when they are touting some new technology, like maybe the pilot in this story. But there are also consequences on our, on our, on our personal lives. Can you talk about what it is specifically about technology that, that spurred you to write this book like we are satellites where you because this isn't just a ah technology is scary story it's much more nuanced than that but tell me about that part well i think i think every technology has has good and bad parts and part of the the question that i get to ask like the fun of of being a writer of near future uh fiction is you get to say to, to explore those nuances you can say who does this hurt and who does this help and and often it's both. And I, I like exploring the fact that there are people who will benefit from just about anything. You know, you, you, you said that our smartphones are shortening our attention span. Right. Um, but at the same time, they're, they're great access devices, like the things that, like, like uh, people with visual impairments can use their smartphone for all kinds of things. Um, that the from uh you know checking uh denominations on money mm -hmm. to to colors of things and you know like it, it it's um and you can use it for a seizure tracker you can use it for you know maps there, there's all kinds of things that it's given us access yeah. to good point um, so 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 playing those games of what who who will benefit from this and then and then what are the harms and most companies should have ethics officers whose job is to step in and say, you know, I, I can see some problems here, but at the same time, we, how much, how much sway do they have if, if a company is barreling towards profit mm -hmm. and if they you know, like, will, will the, will they succeed in, in pointing it out or will we just go ahead because of the, the profit motive? What hit me so hard about this book, and perhaps will certainly hit everyone else, is this focus on its family. It's four distinct individuals, two of them young people, and uh, a rift that the pilots so slowly creates between between two of them, one parent, one child, one child, one parent. When we think of foreboding futuristic stories like 1984 or The Body Snatchers or Brazil or whatever, the focus is usually on this one individual who is like, running away from everything and he's he or she is on their own can you tell me about the motivation to focus on four on a group and especially four deeply connected characters not just that individual yeah uh, so so having four interconnected characters means yeah. you can explore uh four aspects of of those questions that i was asking um and and you can see how it could help and how the, someone could genuinely like it, but also, but the conflicts are fun too. Like someone can genuinely like it for themselves and have issues with it for other people. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm kind of drawn to 
not the I, I don't like chosen one narratives or at least I don't like to write them. I think I think there are other people who write them very well. Mm-hmm. But but I didn't want to write the 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 story of someone who can save the day can save the day and I didn't want to write the story of you know of any one of those like, like frankly I mean it's selfish it's just that I wanted to write multiple stories and so I took multiple characters so I could do that right and I I kind of fall in love with them uh, I kind of want to just sit down and have breakfast with them every morning crafting these four and their fi- family dynamic is such a winning aspect of the book uh not a question there but it, it's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to create these pilots in this scenario, but you really created four wonderful people. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, I love all four of them yes. too, and they all kind of tried to take control at various points. <laughs> uh, like, like the first draft, uh, I thought it was going to be all Val's point of view, and then, and then Sophie wanted it to be a YA book for a little while, and, and sort of took over. And then, um, and the one that I was putting off was writing David because I couldn't figure out how to write him. Right. And um, and when I finally got to him, he was so much fun to write, and I was so sorry I'd avoided his head for so long because I was afraid of his head, and yes. and it turned out to be some of the most fun I've ever had writing. Yeah, and. Now, I won't get into spoilers, but you get into interesting uh, constructive experiments with David because he has a pilot. That's not a spoiler. He gets a pilot. So it's very interesting to see what happens to him and how he reacts. Anyway, this this family dynamic, these four people, made me want to make a connection to Song for a New Day in which, yes, we have uh, have two main protagonists in that story, but a good portion of the first half of the book involves a band, a group, a found family, and, and the ways in which any let's say, otherwise unfathomable future circumstance that would shake up our perception of everyday life or give us maybe cognitive dissonance, I personally would want a support network, uh, if not mothers and a sister or a brother, then friends. Uh, so does that resonate with you and your approach to crafting your casts of characters and the plots they have to go through? That's uh, Yeah, absolutely. I, I like, I mean, people don't generally exist in a vacuum unless right. you're, you know, literally writing. You could write a <laughs> locked room uh, story that, that takes place in a, you know, in a vacuum. Um, and those are great stories too. But, but I, I do like the writing found family and, and, um, and family yeah. and friends and, and people who do have people to lean on um, as most of us do. And that way you get to tell even more stories. Mm-hmm. Like there are four perspectives in here, but there's, many more stories of people who are also being affected and and you want your supporting cast to to have to be vested also if your supporting cast is vested then then they feel like real people yeah yeah uh if when you're writing or anyone's writing sci-fi or speculative fiction or just near future the anticipation is that your story uh maybe can't come completely true uh but that there's maybe something to mine from it uh uh, that allegorically speaking. That being said, one of the core setups of your Nebula award-winning book, Song for a New Day, came completely true just as the book was coming out. What was that like for you as an author? That that was that was bizarre it, because you live with the book in your head for so long, and then you finally let it go, and it's out of your head, yeah. and you can move on. Mm-hmm. And um, and in my case, like six months later it sort of rebounded straight into, well, I mean, into all of our collective faces. Mm-hmm. It was a, a basketball to all of our faces. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, a, it was, it was a very weird thing. I was also um, teaching. Uh, I did, a, I was a visiting professor for that semester and, and just uh, 
so my last event that I did uh, live was a was a reading where that was the week that everything was shutting down and we knew that they were about to leave for spring break. And I had this feeling that that like, like from, from all of my what ifs, I was like, I, I don't think they're actually coming back from spring break, but we weren't like, that wasn't the word. The word was, you know, you're going to be home an extra week. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, so I read the chapter of, of a song for a new day. That's about the characters sort of writing on the, a bunch of them are living together at the time and they write it on their wall, like all the things they don't want to forget. Um, as they're going into this, like all the things that they love and they don't want to forget about the world as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read that and it was the ear, like I can still just like, it was an eerie, eerie thing. And <laughs> your book, it wasn't meant to, be, to yeah. come true. It, it was a what if exercise that like, like none of these are meant to come true, but you know, Elon Musk wants to put things in our heads too. So <laughs> um, I think it's I, I, what I generally encourage is just like, yeah, a, a, asking questions before you do that. Yeah. Going back to We Are Satellites, there was a word that was coming into my mind, especially when we think of one of the parents, Julie, opts to get a pilot for her for her work. Dave, uh, David wants to get a pilot. Uh, he wants to. He's turning 18. He's becoming a man. He wants to succeed in life. And this we've been seeing over the course of the last 15 months, quarantine time, is a kind of an amplification of encouraging self-care, self-check-in, uh, maybe reflecting on our... 2019 existence and how we were sort of romanticizing busyness and hustle and constant working and uh, this idea of actually allowing our brains to to rest just just was not being prioritized. Was that also kind of coming into your your creation process of this book? The idea that we are kind of uh, I'm not saying we're working ourselves to death, but that we also glorify wanting to work and succeed and all this stuff. And and what is that doing to us? Uh, that's a really good point, but I I can't. I don't remember that coming into it a whole lot. I I, I think probably in thinking about Julie and her perspective, it did. I was probably feeling it, whether or not I was saying it. (laughs) I was probably feeling it at that time, too, Um, because I was definitely running myself into the ground. And uh, but I turned this in in like December 2019, I think Mm -hmm. at least the yeah, the main draft was turned in in December. So I, I wasn't. I think I didn't have the the bounce back of of any of the pandemic yet of right. of uh, right of like of that recognition that we you know or or for that matter the spring of 2020 where I just t- bit off more than I could chew and and had too many things going on sure and and yeah but 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 when we do work ourselves like that the wear and tear is usually on our our brain so I could, absolutely I could yeah. I, I won't name names of my own friends, but I bet I could say some of them want a pilot because they love to to work. So that was in my head while I was reading. Yeah, it, I'm know. really curious to see who's into like like uh, like one of the questions people keep turning back on me, but but also like like everyone I'm talking to is sort of playing with that question. Would I say yes to this? Right. And, and I, I'm really curious about everyone's answers. <sighs> like maybe for a month, I would just uh, can I get a trial, just a trial, and then I'm it does. It gives me kind of chill, Sarah. It really does. But the book is beautiful, uh, and I really enjoyed reading it. And again, that family dynamic was fantastic. Um, this was a question that we end interviews with that became kind of difficult to answer in quarantine. But since I guess the world's looking a little better, what's uh, what's next for you? Do you have future plans? What are you looking forward to after this? Yeah, I, I am working on a new book, and it's a book that was really research heavy, and I love research. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm finally diving into it. I'm, I'm like maybe I think 10 or 13,000 words in and I'm, I'm, I'm just taking my time with this one, which is also a lot of fun. So 
and I kind of hope I get to do more research, even though I really shouldn't. Um, <laughs> That's probably I have a full I have a full book's worth of notes for a book. Um, so. <laughs> That's, that's probably good good advice for writers out there. Learn to love research no matter what. <laughs> Sarah Pinsker, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And that was our chat with Sarah Pinsker, Nebula award-winning author of Song for a New Day, which came out a year ago about a global pandemic written before everything happened, but highly recommend that book and then follow it up immediately with We Are Satellites, a story about a family kind of being torn apart by this new productivity enhancing technology called Pilots for Our Brain, which just a great read, but very compelling, complex, nuanced, relatable characters in all four of these family members. This is A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library Podcast. It's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff Milo, and the music that brings us in and out of this podcast each week is by local musician Chad Stocker. If you want to find out more info on how to support this podcast, go to ferndalefriends.org. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it to social media or tell a friend. If you've been listening to us for a while already, remember to rate, review, subscribe, or leave a comment. It'll help us find more listeners. And thank you for listening to this episode.